Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Take the next 40 odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and your personal life. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for hitting the download button. Thanks for being with us. We surely do appreciate it. Another great week this week. This week we're talking meditation and mindfulness and there has been so much written and talked about in the last maybe three to six months on this topic. I wanted to get somebody on who was an absolute expert in it. So we've got that coming up. Very exciting this week that our show, the Mojo Radio Show, is actually brought to you by Pistol Head Custom Lager, Fraser mm. Motorcycles, mm. Harley Davidson, mm. and the Beach Burrito Company. Jesus, we've got some cred, don't we? I'll tell no, you no, what. No. Yeah. <laughs> none, none of them are our sponsors. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> right, where'd you get them from? They're sponsoring the Dead Daisies. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, look, it's a, it's a it's a it's it's a little a long not, not a long rod to stretch from. No, well the they're on the show, you know, to a couple of guys who were dead on the vine. <laughs> no, uh, that's right. <laughs> so no, I, I threw them in there because we are interviewing the mm. boys uh, next week. The boys from the mm. Dead Daisies, uh, mm. Marco and John. And I'm so looking forward to it. Bit, hey, uh, I got a little bit, bit of daunted. news, just a little, a little bit of news, just for you and me, and it's probably a bit personal, but we can share. Um, you know the the uh, the the, uh, the secret gig that the Daisies are playing in a couple of weeks. Yep. Yeah. The invites just landed on my desk. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yes, very nice. I wonder if they'll notice me recording the show with my iPhone. <laughs> Mate, are we going down to Mexico to do it? Oh, I think we should. Yeah, I oh. think first class flights to Mexico, down to Tijuana. <laughs> How good is that going to be? Pistolhead Custom Lagers, a few burritos, mm, the big burrito company. Absolutely. I reckon the food will be good if nothing else. <laughs> sweet. Well, speaking of which, um, mm. I got you a little present. I got you a little bag of Bondi chai. Have you tried it yet? Nice. No. I haven't. Now, this product, I was in Newcastle a couple of weeks ago, as you know, for Mm. the Hunter Collective, which was the um, ideation at work gig. And I was there with Melissa. Can I just ask you a quick question, though? Why didn't you call it the Hunter and Collectors or the (laughs) Hunter and Collective? See, see, there's creativity right there, folks. That's there's that, someone that's thinking. All, that is all you need. That's why he's behind the panel. That's yeah. why he's the writer. Yeah, there buddy. Yeah, buddy. Nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll actually miss make a little note that in my journal for 2016 Next event. <laughs> hey, guys, have I got an idea for you. Shout out to the girls. Um, uh, but I met Melissa Martin, who run the award-winning Bondi Chai company, and they introduced me mm. to Bondi Chai. And I must say, my household has fallen in love with this product. It is fantastic. And very small world that a very good client of theirs is Fish River Roasters, who oh, are wow. the roasters only three properties or four properties across from us um, yeah. on the lovely Fish River in mm. Central West New South Wales. So mm, there you go. Taste that so, tiger snake now. Yeah, Melissa and Martin will be on the show. And I've also had confirmation that Jacinta McDonald, who is an absolute whiz, she's the lady who brought Anytime Fitness to Australia mm. and is doing beautiful work around the world with charity. Mm. Is also going to mm. be on our show. So we've got a lot of good mm. shows coming up, haven't we? Yeah. So can I just ask the, the lady from Anytime Fitness, when you rang her and organised the interview and you said what time, did she just say, oh, anytime you like, just turn up? She did. She just right. said yes, anytime. Just give me a call when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, oh, you nice are one. on fire. Oh, just on this fire week, today. You know, you of are on fire. Mm, I know. Now, uh, before we jump into the show, mm-hmm. uh, do you have anything anything of, of value to share? Oh, yeah, I do actually. <laughs> I, we we, t- we love talking about personal grit on this show, and I've got a fantastic story of personal grit. Uh, that comes out of the States about a lady. I'm, I'm probably going to pronounce her name wrong. And if she's listening to the show, I do apologize. Lizzie, Lizzie Valesquez, I think is the Ooh. way you pronounce her name. Um, but she was born with a rare syndrome that makes her look aged and it's hard for her to put on weight. In fact, she weighs 63 pounds, which I think when we talked about this before the show, you said that's between 20 and 30 kilos. So that's you can 30 imagine. 30 kilos, yeah. She, she's, uh, she's not. Tiny. You know, and, and I'm not being rude because she openly admits this. She's not the most attractive looking woman in the world. But when she was 17, someone posted a video of her online and, and people made the most awful mm. comments. Some people even telling her to kill herself. Um, but since then, she's turned that into a career. She's now a motivational speaker um, and has actually spoken uh, at TED and has had over 8 million views online of her, um, of her speech at TED. So... Um, I just thought, you know, um, they're actually also making a documentary about her life. So I just thought, you know, for someone to turn, you know, um, a tragedy or, you know, she probably doesn't view it as a tragedy, but something like that in their life around, um, you know, into something positive, I think is awesome. I think it's a great, we, we, for those folks who've been with us on the journey, you will know that we've had an ongoing undercurrent of talking about grit and grit for us and grit for our children. And it really is an important topic. And it, it is something also that's getting a lot of, um, I think a lot of airplay at the moment. So that's a great story. We'll, we'll put the link to that TED conference speech in the show notes, folks. And just I'll also to, put a link to the article as well, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll um, just go to the mojoradioshow.com, click through to shows. You'll see the show with Light Watkins, who is our guest today, and uh, scroll down and click through. So that's um, that's a lovely story, mate. Should we um, let's, should we get into it? Let's the do it. Mojo Radio Show. So, Robbo, I'm doing a th- I'm doing a thesis. A thesis, yeah. right? <laughs> well, it's not really. It's just what, at the th- School of Bourbon or something. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> bourbon and beer. <laughs> at the School of the um, no, I've just been thinking about some conversations I've had recently with people mm. about mm. spirituality, right? And the conversation went like this: this friend of mine, uh, we were having beers, we were talking and she said at work, there was a, amongst the young leaders, we're doing leadership training and a research document went around them to ask them about what was important to them. And the highest for everybody, if not the second highest thing that was really important to them was spirituality. Now, these are all guys that are maybe 26 to 32, which really caught my attention. And I had heard that same conversation a number of times when I was in speaking gigs and people asked me about this. And when I was curious and asked the question about it, what it turns out is that their definition of spirituality is actually meditation and yoga. And I've had a number of young guys in, in groups recently talking about creativity and mojo quiz me on meditation. And you know that we've spoken about meditation before on the show and we put people on to the app done by Russell Simmons about meditation and mindfulness, which, in fact, I just used this morning with my little girl. We sat in the bed and did the uh, Russell Simmons, you know, the deaf, deaf jam meditation. And <laughs> <laughs> but I, I find it a fascinating topic. And our guest today, I got on the show, and I must have been, I contacted him 
with some details of the show and he came back and said it'd be a privilege to be here. Little did he know. But um, <laughs> he had these two great pieces. One was a video which I'll link to in the show notes about the five myths of meditation and I loved it. And the second thing that I saw was a blog he did, which I think was around the eight things he wished people would stop saying about meditation. And I contacted Light Watkins, who is a world expert and just the coolest, nicest guy. And he said he'd chat with us today. So Light Watkins, welcome, mate, to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. It's um, it's so good having you on because Ro and I have been doing this show now for uh, sort of approaching our first year. And... There's been a common theme through a lot of the people we've interviewed about meditation and we've had conversations in the studio about this but we we really don't know where to start and we we hear differing opinions on what it's all about. So we're stoked to have you here today as an expert to put us straight on this topic. Um, Just to put our listeners in the loop, like can you tell us the sort of work you're doing today and who you're doing it with? Uh, I, I'm based out of Santa Monica, California, and over the last, uh, uh, almost the last decade, I've been teaching uh, a style of meditation known as Vedic meditation, which is a householder brand of uh, meditation. And I teach people from all walks of life. Um, a lot of people think you have to be a hippie, you know, zend out, zend out uh, for meditation, but the overwhelming majority of my clients are the opposite of that. They're people who are very busy, uh, urban professionals, they have lots of responsibilities, and they want something that can help them uh, tune into a deeper, more creative place within and that they can use as a secret, secret weapon as uh, as they're going about life and dealing with demands and pressures and and, uh, and the changes that we all experience. You've, you've said that meditation has an image problem. Can you explain what you mean? Generally, when, when we think about meditation, we normally associate it with monks, you know, people who uh, who wouldn't would be able to sit for long stretches of time, and we imagine these people that are sitting with their backs straight and their fingers together, and they're chanting something, and they have this white light experience inside. Yet, when regular people sit down to meditate, um, they don't they have anything but that experience, and it causes them to be uh, disappointed, and or or they 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 uh, disqualify themselves from being able to meditate because they think that oh I didn't get to that place in the first five minutes, so I'm just not capable. My mind is too busy to get to that place when the reality of it is that those people in the pictures on Google that are shown meditating aren't actually having that white light experience that uh, that people think. And they're, they're having very real thoughts and their mind is just as busy as anyone else's mind. And it's not really about the external factors uh, having an altar or a robe or you know a quiet place is really about how you're operating with your thinking mind. So I think in a large way the premise is off, and that's what causes meditation to have uh, a very bad reputation is because we think it's one thing when actually it's something completely different. So like Gary and I have talked for a while now about meditation here in the studio. If we were going to get started uh, with meditation, what direction would you point us in? Where would you suggest is a good place for us to get started? I would have you do uh, three basic things. Number one, I would have you sit comfortably. So forget about the whole cross-legged, you know, back straight position. Just sit on the couch. 
sit in your favorite reading chair, sit in your car, right? And then you close your eyes. And then number two, I want you to expect to have lots and lots of thoughts. The more you can expect this, the less you're going to get disappointed when that actually happens. You close your eyes, you're going to have a lot of thoughts. And number three, I want you to practice embracing your thoughts. So embracing the idea that thinking is a part of this process. In other words, don't fight anything. And I use that example during my TED Talk with the white polar bear experiment where people try to not think about the white polar bear, and that's all they could think about was the white polar bear. And this, this is what happens in meditation every day. People go into it not wanting to think about work, not wanting to think about you know some relationship problems. And so when those things inevitably come up, because that's a part of your everyday experience, uh, and they start resisting them, then they end up perpetuating, and you end up having more of the very thought you don't want to have. So if you embrace it, if you go the other way with it, what you'll find is that you'll be in a better position to go beyond it, to transcend it. But it doesn't happen from you wanting it to happen or looking for it to happen or anticipating it happen. It happens from you completely accepting the fact that you're having these experiences and from you relaxing into that. I'm going to put a link to your TED speech light onto our show notes because the white polar bear exercise you did, and I must admit I was doing it with you as I was sitting there watching the video and I had my hand up exactly the same way everybody else in the room did. Um, And Robbo, when we talk about the white polar bear experience, we're not talking about the white polar bear on the label of the Bundy rum alcoholic drink that you're thinking of right now. We are talking about, (laughs) we're talking about an exercise that light did. It was just a great great example of how our mind wanders. And you talked about non-directive meditation techniques. Can you describe that for us, this wandering mind bit? So when I mentioned earlier about the householder styles of meditation, I was referring to those non-directive, meaning you actually go into it with the objective of letting the mind wander and drift, as opposed to focusing, concentrating, uh, or using any sort of uh, mental activity. You, You actually are allowing the mind to do what it does, which is to think. So one of the most popular forms of non-directive meditation is the transcendental meditation. And they've done a lot of studies on on TM showing that when you approach meditation in that way, your heart rate will drop, your blood pressure will drop, and your, your, your body will basically go in the opposite direction of the stress response, which is which is the most excited the nervous system can become. You're running away from a bear and you're being attacked by a shark. That's the most excited your your body can get. And when you're meditating, what's been shown is that your nervous system can go into a state of rest that is the deepest the body can get into without going into a coma. So that includes sleeping, too. Your body can get into a state of rest that's deeper than sleep minute for minute while you're meditating in this way. Now, the whole difference in and TM and Vedic meditation and um, and just sitting down and closing your eyes and embracing your thoughts is those guys uh, have have uh, been using mantras for many many years and these mantras are sort of like this this ancient uh, thought technology or, or vibration technology uh, using sounds that you can experience within that can cause your mind to transcend or go beyond that surface level of thinking very easily. The mind wants to do this on its own, but it, it can be challenging 
um, without a mantra, just because of the way the mind operates, it's normally, you're, you're normally processing about 90% of the same thoughts on a daily basis. So if that keeps happening, the brain will start to hardwire itself to, to basically remaining or, and looping through those same thoughts. And so the mantra becomes this, this very unfamiliar but very uh, charming sound to the mind, and, and that's what causes the mind to break through the, the, the ridge of your everyday mental clutter and into these kind of deeper states, and it can stay in those deeper states longer. Like we talked about Russell Simmons has just put out a meditation app and there is a setup, a 10-minute and a 20-minute kind of guided meditation, and he does this oom sound through it. Can the mantra be words and or a sound? And do I have to have, so, a, do I have, to have a mantra? You don't have to have a mantra. Um, mantra just makes it a lot easier. Um, the, the mantra you, you want to use, so, so the, 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 the historically... If you were back in India and you were receiving a mantra, you you would get it from a teacher, right, as opposed to a book or get it online or something like that. And the reason, you know, this is whole thing about the secrecy of the TN mantras and why they don't want to tell anybody. Well, the reason why that happens is because in that particular, um, in that in the particular way that that the mantra is used, it's it's experienced mainly as a vibration, mainly as a thought. And as it happens, thoughts that have meaning or association aren't as powerful as thoughts that are meaningless and are free of association. So you don't actually want to see the mantra written down. You don't want to even associate it with words that you're familiar with because it can dilute the effectiveness of the mantra. So when you are told the mantra by your teacher, and it just happens through a whisper, Right, and you you repeat it back a few times until the teacher is satisfied that you're you're experiencing it correctly. Those are the most powerful sounds that you can get for your meditation. And once you start using it in meditation, the sound is going to start to change to the way that you are experiencing it. In other words, it becomes your own. So yes, these mantras have been used by other people. Yes, they've been used for a long time, but. That, that's also what makes them very powerful is because they've been charged up over literally thousands of years. And then when you start using it, it becomes your own and you add to the frequency of that mantra for the next person, the next generation, using that same sound. So it's very interesting. It, it goes against a lot of what we believe in our Western culture of you know, transparency and you know, we're intellectualizing everything. And... Um, and that freedom comes in knowing every single thing. But in this case, you get true freedom when you are engaged in the process as opposed to being outcome-oriented all the time. Like, you can't go into meditation looking for something to happen because then you're going to keep it from happening. And, and, and as a meditation teacher, my, the biggest part of my job is in, in deconstructing that indoctrination that uh, you, you have to you have to perfect something or you have to be successful in something and just to get people to be okay with just sitting there and being completely uh, uh, nonchalant 
about all the things that are happening, and that's where they have the best experiences. It's funny because something else you said fits into that light, which I must say, when you when you said it uh, in one of the blogs or one of the videos I saw, you said that a wandering mind can lead to a rested mind, and yet I've been right. led to believe that a meditation basically find that gap between the thoughts and to have, you know, no mind and if, you, if your mind was racing, there be a different science in your mind between this where it's okay to have these wandering thoughts and, in fact, by embracing yes. that, it can actually rest your mind. Is that, is that fair? Exactly, yes. So the thing, the analogy here is, uh, is a swimming pool. Right? So you have the surface of the pool, which is where all the, the waves are, and that's where all the action is happening at the very surface. And then you have the bottom of the pool, which is, which is the quiet, still part. Right? But in between the surface and the bottom, you have what? You got water. So if you're going to go from the surface to this deep state, right? this relaxed state, this de-excited state, you have to go through the water. And so with the mind, if you can take the water out of the equation and put thoughts in, imagine you have this pool of thinking where at the surface you have the, the, the grossest, meaning the most fully formed thoughts, and at the bottom you have the quietest uh, experience, mental experiences, and you want to de-excite the mind, then you're going to have to go through those different layers of surface, less surface, least surface, subtle, subtler, subtle less, and all the while... Um, the way you know this is happening is you're losing awareness. So it's like a dinner switch being turned off. There's, there's no often, there's no like black or white off and on. It's all in variation. It's all in degrees. And so most people that practice and even teach meditation don't have that kind of understanding around how the mind operates. And and, and it's really important to to recall that because. When you're having the experience and you're you're having random thoughts, there's a reason why your thoughts are seemingly more random than not at certain points in the practice, and that indicates that you're actually you've gone deeper than the surface level of thinking, right? And and that that's a that's a mile marker in the journey. That's a that's a that's a positive um, uh, symptom of you going deeper than you than you think. So the mantra's job is to just kind of help orient your mind in the direction of, of the most de-excited uh, state. It's pretty, it's pretty brilliant how the whole thing works, and it's super simple, which is what drew me to it. You know, it's not complicated. You don't need to, like, have a degree in physics in order to understand it. You literally just sit there. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. You practice that sound, and then you, it's surprising how how quickly the mind will just start to go into that cascade down towards those deeper states. Man, we need a two-hour show. I've got so much stuff I want to ask you about. Can I just unpack this for a second, like, with just some questions that I know I have, Rob and I have talked about, and I know our audience have got. Just a couple of housekeeping bits. Do I need to be seated? Can I, can I stand? Can I walk? Uh, is there a particular time frame that's mandated to get down to the bottom of the pool? I love the idea of going through the water, and I've got, yeah. that, I've got the visual. Just unpack yeah. it for me, the, the questions people have about timing and, you know, can I do it walking? Do I have to be sitting down? Can I lie down? Like, Yeah. Um, it's There are positions where you can optimize the effects of it, and generally you want to sit comfortably. So, you know, you put meditation in the same category as sleep, right? 
And because what you're getting from both experiences is a degree of rest. So it's hard to rest if you're walking around or if you're on your bicycle or if you're knitting or crocheting. But I mention that because a lot of people say, oh, my crocheting is my meditation or my, when I'm on my motorcycle, I'm in my meditation mode. And that's what they mean is that they, their mind is, uh, is focused or it's very clear and they don't really think about much else when they're engaged in those activities. But if you were to put a, an EEG on that person's scalp and have them walking around mindfully versus having them meditating, like sitting with their eyes closed in, a, in, a, in an eyes closed practice, um, their brain will be doing something completely different in that seated practice than it will be doing while they're on their bicycle. And it's not to say that they have to give up the bicycle or the crocheting. You can do all that, but um, you also want to add a seated practice into the mix, and that'll actually enhance uh, your 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 connection to nature or whatever it is that you're engaged in actively uh, while you're while you're out and about. But yeah, as far as you know, body position and all of that, and time of day, um, it's you know it's it's, it's difficult because. Uh, because meditation is seen as this discipline that requires all this effort, people um, people put it in the category with you know washing my floors and and cleaning out the gutter and, and that kind of thing. And so it's they all agree that it'd be good to do that, but it, no one has time to do it seemingly. And that's because uh, the way we typically go about it is a bit bit. It's not that it's backwards. It just requires a lot more work than is necessary. And, um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to give the impression that there's a right way to meditate or a wrong way to meditate. It really just comes down to how hard do you want to work, right? So for people who are listening to this and they're thinking, well, hold on, you know, I meditate on my meditation cushion and the Zen, uh, style and I love it. And you know, that's great. It's fantastic that you love your, your practice in that particular way that you're experiencing it. And for those people who are, I'm talking to the people who are frustrated, who are, uh, who are, uh, um, who, who disqualified themselves from thinking that they can meditate. This, my, my idea and, and, and application of meditation is for those people and to let you know, you actually can meditate and yeah, you can sit on the couch and you can be comfortable you don't have to do it for a long time. You can do it for 15, 20 minutes and get the maximum results from it. And, uh, and you know, you do it maybe just once a day. Start off just doing it once a day. If you have instruction, like, can you come and sit with me? I'll teach you how to do it twice a day. But I don't recommend doing that on your own. If you're a do-it-yourself meditator, once a day, maybe 10, 15 minutes would be ideal. Um, but if you learn how to do it properly, which, you know, I spend six hours teaching people how to do this, answering their questions and over the course of four days and I give them homework and all of that. So it's a very comprehensive approach. And, um, and, and then I would say, okay, now I'll do it 20 minutes twice a day. Cause then it's going to feel, you're going to feel effortless in the practice, but it's hard to kind of convey all of that in, in, a, in a short podcast. But yeah, generally speaking, you do it once, twice a day, 15, 20 minutes. Sitting like, on one of your heroes is, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh-huh. And you told a really interesting story about the his life and how yeah. had he meditated it might have had it might have added to his longevity of life in terms of his biology. Could you just explain that story for us? Well, I used him as an example of 
how the body can age rapidly beyond our chronological age. So the science is telling us today that there are these things called telomeres, which are caps on the end of our chromosomes, which are kind of like caps on the end of shoestrings. And as we all know from wearing shoestrings a lot, the caps will start to fray after a while. We can't lace your shoes anymore. So the shoestrings become um, un unusable. And, uh, and so the telomeres, if they start to fray, your chromosomes will start to shorten. And they can do a pretty good determination of how long you're going to live based on how long your chromosomes are. So what causes the chromosomes to fray, basically, is stress chemistry. So when we're experiencing sadness, anger, fear, um, disappointment, and it's causing anxiety and those kinds of distressful emotions, the body produces stress chemistry, which goes in and disintegrates the, um, the telomeres, in which case not only does our lifespan start to shrink, but the body will start to shut down all of the long-term health functions that we need to stay uh, balanced and, and, and healthy, such as the digestive system, the reproduction system, the endocrine system, the immune system, and the short-term health uh, survival functions start to uh, boost up. And this is what the body requires in order to run away from a bear or fight a lion. So that's high blood pressure and constricted veins and more perspiration and more glucose and higher respiratory rate. And so these are all of the symptoms of all of the major adult onset diseases and ailments that we suffer from today as a society. So if you're at home listening to this, just go to Google really quickly and Google the symptoms of the fight or flight reaction. And you'll come across many, many pages of uh, results showing all of the hundreds of symptoms, and you can get those symptoms, right? Or better yet, before you look at the symptoms, write down everything that you're suffering from, all the symptoms, or someone you know that you care about is suffering from, whether it's diabetes, whether it's cancer, whether it's heart attacks. Write down those symptoms, the things that you're having to take medication for, and then you go and you look at the symptoms of the stress reaction, and I guarantee you, you'll see every single one listed under the stress reaction. So what's happening is that when we're getting more stress on a daily basis than we're able to get rid of, uh, the body will start to uh, habituate towards responding stressfully as opposed to being able to stay balanced, and we end up with the physical manifestation of all of those symptoms. So that's what makes meditation so valuable is that it has the ability to release the stress. So going back to King, when they did the autopsy on his body, they saw that his body had aged almost double what his chronological age was. So the biological age of his heart, of his kidneys, of his lungs was that of a 60-year-old man. And he was only 39 years old when he, uh, when he got assassinated. So that's why I use that example just to illustrate that when you're under stress at your job or in your relationship and you're not changing things, your body is paying a price for that. You know, you may be able to cope mentally and, 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 you know, try to trick yourself into not reacting, but your body is, is, is uh, reacting for you. And I say you can fool everybody, but your body, your body always knows what you're really <laughs> truly feeling inside. And you're going to pay a price for that because every time you experience those distressful emotions, it's like taking shots of arsenic or, or, or poison. That's what it is. It's poisonous to the body. 
And meditation is a great way to bring the body back into balance in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, I've also read that meditation can help the brain light. And I, I read that meditation activates the frontal cortex. And in doing so, mm-hmm. it can improve our uh, compassion, uh, empathy, uh, ability to problem solve, um, the executive functioning of our brain, perceptions and so on. Have you, found, have you personally found that as well? Absolutely. Well, again, going back to the stress reaction, right, the first thing that happens is the part of the brain that gives us the ability to be rational and, and adaptable will get shut down. And guess what part of the brain that happens to be? The prefrontal cortex. So when that happens, everything gets rerouted to your amygdala, which is your fear center or your reptilian brain, and then you're left with only two options. You can either run from the demand or pressure or change, or you can fight it. And that's it. You have no other options. So when people tell me, you know, I like my stress, stress is good, they're not really talking about what I'm talking about, which is the clinical definition of stress, the binary reaction of running and fighting. They're referring to pressures and demands. And yes, pressures and demands aren't going away anytime soon, and they're good for helping you innovate and create and that kind of thing. But you really don't want to be embracing stress because that, that, leaves you in a very vulnerable position, uh, immune-wise, and, and you, can't, you can't reproduce when you're under a lot of stress. Your body can't digest its food properly when you're under stress. And so that's not, that's not, that's not a trajectory that anybody wants to go down because it doesn't lead you to anywhere that's positive. So um, the brain is it's very powerful. It's very plastic. And by, sit, by interrupting the normal thinking process, those 90% of the thoughts from yesterday, by being able to interrupt that on a daily basis, it can rewire itself very quickly. And you want the brain to rewire itself so that that prefrontal cortex stays open in the face of the demands, in the face of the pressure. And that's where you're going to find your, your highest self and your, your finest moments, and you're going to operate from your... From your um, your highest potential. How do I know it's working? Like, if I go to the gym and I work out, if I do a session on the treadmill, I sweat, I figure I've worked. If I go and do push resistance work, I can see a pump in the mirror or I feel a bit sore, so I know it's worked. If I go in a meeting, there's minutes, I know it's worked. If I do a podcast, we record for 40, 50 minutes, the show's done, I put it out on iTunes, I know it. How do I, like, how does someone know that meditation has worked and hasn't been a waste of time? That's a really good question. Um, You know, the problem is people gauge progress based on the content of their thoughts, and this is not accurate. Your thoughts in meditation only tells you one thing, and that is whatever is being processed or released uh, from your body, from your consciousness during the meditation. If you really want to look at progress and how you're benefiting from the meditation, you want to look at what is happening outside of the meditation. For instance, are you sleeping better at night? That's one of the telltale signs that meditation is working. It's one of the fastest benefits that people experience. I've had people who are complete insomniacs for years and years start meditating, and by day two or day three, they're sleeping like babies through the night. Um, Another sign is that your digestive system is working better, right? Your immune system is actually stronger. So you can be around people who are sick 
And whereas before, if someone coughed or sneezed, you started coughing or sneezing because you got a very weak immune system. Um, now you find that you're able to be around people who are sick and it doesn't affect you anymore. And then you start to look at other things such as, am I craving higher quality foods? Am I craving higher quality company? That's another big one. You no longer feel the need to gossip, to be negative, to hang around people who do those kinds of things. Am I taking better care of myself? Do I feel like exercising, right? You know, we all know how easy it is if you miss a few days of exercise to get back up and into your program. But what's fighting, you, what's fighting us in all of these things that I mentioned that we don't really appreciate because it's sort of like this invisible enemy is our stress, right? We're up against stress when we don't feel like working out. It's stress that's causing us to uh, want to sit on that couch and eat donuts. It's stress that causes us to not want to move. It's stress that causes the immune system to become vulnerable to the common cold. It's stress that makes us not able to ovulate or reproduce or to be, feel uh, sexual towards our partner. So it's the stress that we're getting rid of with the meditation. And so the way you gauge progress is, is based on all the things that we are normally and naturally supposed to crave. Once they start coming back into our, on our radar, then we start to know, okay, well, this is actually working. But what you're experiencing in meditation, you want to start to look at meditation really at the end of the day as a laundering experience. You're laundering stress from your nervous system. That's what's happening in meditation. And, and that means that sometimes you're going to have deep meditations. Sometimes you're going to have pretty thought-filled meditations. But you, will, you should always look at how you feel after the meditation. Is, is it possible that somebody could be meditating and not knowing it? Right? Is it possible that we could be in a place where we are sitting under a tree or sitting like you were in Union Square or sitting in a Starbucks or a Barnes & Noble? Is it possible that we could be sitting somewhere Yes. Specifically going through a mantra and meditating and be meditating and not know it? It is possible. And in fact, it's, it's ironic that you describe it like that because true meditation is where you're sitting there and you don't know you're meditating, right? And that, that usually is the first thing that has to happen in order for the real meditation to start is you have to, you have to effortlessly forget about the fact that you're meditating. So people who are sitting around thinking about the fact that they're meditating for 20 minutes or an hour, they're not really going anywhere because they're just sitting there contemplating the meditation. And this is my problem with a lot of guided practices. You know, guided practices can be somewhat relaxing, but if the guy keeps making suggestions and, and, and they're prompting you every two seconds to think about this and imagine that, you can't really get to that deeper place because you always are you're operating on the level of the surface mind. So if you really want to go deep in meditation, no one can guide you there. You know, people can facilitate an environment for you to get there on your own, but you're really the only person that can take you there. All right? I don't want to crap all over guided meditation teachers. I think they're doing a great job of exposing people to the idea of meditating. But I also don't want to delude people into thinking that uh, your guided meditation practice is the the pinnacle of the meditation experience. It's not really that. It's, it's, a, it's a gateway to meditation, if anything. And uh, if you get really serious about it, it's something that you're going to have to start doing on your own on a daily basis. It's not enough to be guided in a, in a meditation once a week at your meditation circle. That doesn't really do anything. 
the, the real benefits are experienced from meditating every day. And that's why, you know, it's nice if you if you happen to stumble upon the meditation, but if you make it more intentional and you actually carve out time every day to do it, that's where you start to see that you begin meditating accidentally. In the same way that, you know, we've all been conditioned to sleep every night uh, for seven, eight hours, starting around, you know, whatever, midnight, waking up around six or seven in the morning. So if you scheduled an accounting meeting with your accountant at four in the morning, chances are you're going to be knocked off during that meeting, right? Or if you schedule any activity in the middle of the night where you're used to sleeping, you're probably going to accidentally fall asleep. So if you're used to meditating every day at four o'clock and you happen to sit down and do your taxes, it's not unusual for you to actually then drop into a deep state of meditation and your pencil drops out of your hand and it's like, oh, wow, what just <laughs> happened? Well, you just, you accidentally transcend it. That's really how it happens. It's a much more rare for you to just drop into it if you've never done it before in your entire life. Is there, a, is there, a, how, how long do we need to spend meditating each day? Is there, a, is there, a, is there a, a certain amount of time that we need to spend? Can it be five minutes? Does it have to be an hour? Um, you know, um, I, I, for someone again, if you're doing yourself, sir, I would say start with five minutes. Yeah, start with five minutes in the morning, and uh, and and then play a little game with yourself where you do five minutes for a week, and then you add a minute on each week. Right. And after yep. a few months, you'll be up to you'll be up to ten, fifteen minutes. You know, so but it, if you do it slowly like that, then it won't seem like. Uh, it's too much. And is 10, 15 minutes the optimal time? Is there an optimal time to meditate? Uh, the optimal time is about 15 to 20 minutes for, for my approach. Now, if yep. you go to a Vipassana retreat center, right, they're going to say, well, you want to meditate for an hour in the morning and an hour at night, and that's because you're doing a Vipassana practice, which in my understanding is a monastic approach to meditation. And, you know, and the way you know this is you look around the Vipassana retreat at who's excelling at this practice, and all the teachers are walking around with shaved heads and robes on. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that tell you? Right? That tells you that this is where this practice is going. Yeah. Right? To be good at this practice, you're going to have to adapt to that kind of lifestyle. And uh, they, they probably won't say that, and maybe they'll get upset and explain that or whatever. But I'm just I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, if you if you if you want a practice that's for you, you need to look around and see who's excelling at it, who's really enjoying it. If those people look like you and they have the same lifestyle as you, that's probably a practice that you're gonna you're gonna you know be able to uh, benefit from. Otherwise, yeah. unless you're cool with becoming a monk. <laughs> um, which I don't think a lot of people are, you're going to end up having some difficult experiences. Like just uh, before we let you go, mate, uh, I came up upon your work through a blog you wrote about the eight things that you wish people would stop saying about meditation. Um, uh-huh. we've, covered, we've covered a fair bit of terrific ground just in chatting with you now. Are there, are there things that come to mind from that list that we haven't covered off that you think people need to hear to say, this is what you've typically been told. There's another way to think yeah. about it. Are there any other things that come to mind that you'd like to share off that list that I haven't covered? Well, I, would, I don't know if this is on the list or not, but I think that uh, people have this idea that meditation is it's a luxury for people who have a lot of money or, you know, it's not something that you don't really have to do. And, 
And I, I give this example of, you know, you don't have to eat fruits and vegetables in order to survive. Uh, but if you want to thrive, right, you, it'd be a good idea to have fruits and vegetables and water and exercise. And, and so I put meditation in that category, in the thrive category. No, it's not in the survival category. Um, but in, in the thrive category, absolutely, meditation is compulsory uh, because it will give you access to a level of awareness that you just don't even realize uh, that you can you can tap into without meditating. And that's the tricky part about it, you know, just kind of going back to what you talked about. There is no before and after picture that is obvious for meditation, unlike working out at the gym or playing the lottery or, you know, these kinds of things where you can clearly see, well, this person was in this situation and not in that situation. With meditation, you could be a millionaire, right? And then you can lose all of your money, but you can be supremely happy inside. So on the outside, it'll look like, well, this guy's in a worse situation because in our society, we, we put money up above everything else, even though we, we deny it, but we actually do. And, um, and, and with, with, with happiness, with true inner happiness, when you are able to actually experience that for yourself, that's like that becomes a pinnacle experience because that means that they can take the water, but they can never take the well. Like no one can ever take that from you, right? Otherwise, what happens is you get locked into this acquisitive approach to happiness, the, the mentality that as soon as I make enough money, as soon as I meet the right person, as soon as I get a new job, I'm going to be happy. There's this idea that happiness is coming in the future as soon as these things happen. And we've all achieved these things many times, and we, we keep finding out that we're the same person. We feel the same way inside, right? And if it was true that money made you happy, people like Donald Trump would be the happiest person on the planet, and all the other billionaires on the planet would be the poster boys for happiness. And as we know, that's not the case. So it's an interesting uh, reverse in the paradigm that you only can experience from actually sitting down and, and do, going through the practice yourself. Um, so that's what I would say is that make it compulsory. You know, it's, it, it's all gain and no pain. All the money and time you invest in it will come back to you uh, a thousandfold. And, 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 and you will actually probably make uh, more money and better decisions and all of that from, from doing a daily meditation practice. Like, as you mentioned before, there's a perception out there that meditation is for guys in robes and sandals walking around eating nuts. Uh, and more than likely, there's people listening to this program now who are thinking meditation's not for me. Uh, I'm a high-level businessman. I'm a, I'm a tough truck driver. I'm a rugby coach. You know, whatever. Um, meditation will just make me soft. In, in your experience, is that a fallacy? So the edge that, that, that happens that you lose from meditation is that part of yourself that makes you overly concerned with what other people think about you. And in my experience, people who learn to meditate become even bolder. They become even more daring. They take even more chances because they don't give a crap what other people think about them. They're actually, they're the only ones that are actually in the moment and they're not doing things to make more money to get happier. They're doing things because this project, this person, this situation would be a perfect outlet for the happiness that I have inside. And if it doesn't work out, 
hey, you know what? That's okay because I'm still happy, right? And I can just move on to the next thing. So it's interesting because it it actually reinforces this idea of truly being present, present moment awareness, which is really what everybody wants. You know, everybody wants to feel happy. Everybody wants to feel present. That's why Eckhart Tolle's book is so successful. That's why Wayne Dyer has a career, because that's what those guys talk about, is present moment awareness and being in the now. But the problem is, People don't understand how. What's the how? What's the power of how? Right? And, and the answer to that question in my book is meditation. I've got one final question for you, mate, and um, it's based on uh, martial artist Bruce Lee had a philosophy around it's not the daily increase but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. What's been an unessential thing that Light Watkins has taken out of your life in the last 12 months has had the, the most profound effect? Oh, man, I have been living by that kind of philosophy for many years. And so um, we'd have to take it back further than 12 months. <laughs> I <literally> went, <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I literally went through and did an inventory of my whole life um, literally 15 years ago and just started stripping everything away, starting, you know, television, uh I started stripping away processed foods, sugar, uh, alcohol, you know, anything that wasn't contributing to my optimum health, I would take away. And it, it got down to the point where I was, I, I, I had to cut myself off a of chapstick because I realized that when I didn't have my chapstick on me, I got a little bit anxious. So I, 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 I intentionally made my force myself to stop using chapstick. So that, that's, that's how, I, how far I've taken this. And, uh, you know, at this point I've actually, I'm actually, my problem is going back and reintegrating things. Like, you know, allowing myself to have a little bit of champagne at a wedding or allowing mm. myself to have a little bit of birthday cake and, and those kinds of things. Mm. Um, but I can't really think of anything that I have cut out in the last year. Um, you know, I'm always kind of grappling with just, uh, in the way that I express myself, um, um, you know, I'm trying not to use too many curse words and things like that. That's something that I, I, I can definitely turn on and off, but I, I have to think about it. <laughs> well, think Mate, about it this put, way. Uh, over the, I was just going to say, think about it this way. Over the last 15 years, what's yeah. the thing you've cut out that's had the most profound effect then on your life, do you think? Uh, I, uh, I mean, I used to be, uh, I was a veggie, I was a vegan for 12 years mm. and that had a pretty significant effect. I, I'm not a vegan anymore. I yeah. feel I started eating meat again yeah. but, uh, during that time. I think it was good to just kind of have that, that cleansing from mm. eating really high quality foods and, mm. and, um, and just seeing that I could do it because otherwise I felt sort of constrained to eating, um, the, the meat and potatoes diet and felt like if I didn't have it around me I would, I would, I would not be able to to uh, function properly so that that's probably the thing that caused the biggest change other than that I would say meditation meditation was the thing that yeah. uh, changed my life more yeah. than anything else mm. yeah. and it's the one thing I've done consistently since I learned it right nice and one. that was about 12 years ago yeah. where do we send people mate where can people find out more about Light Watkins <laughs> Uh, lightwalkins.com. Keep it real simple. What we love on the show the most, Light, is when you get guys that can actually walk the talk, 
and put the rubber on the road and looking at your stuff, how you present, you know, your your physiology, your just everything, you just exude health and energy and wellness and just a, a beautiful spirit, mate. And I, uh, I'm stoked to have you on the show today and thank you for sharing with us. Thanks for get, dishing out the gold. It's 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 been it's been really really cool, man. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, for contacting me. And it was a really fun time talking to you. Your your questions are amazing, and uh, I think I think it's going to help more people uh, realize that they can benefit from this very simple practice that's been around for more than five thousand years. Mm. I think so too. Well, we've been on, we've been on the fringe now for a number of months. Like we, we keep talking about it between ourselves, you know, on the show and, and in the studio and stuff. And um, I just I just like your approach. You've taken the pressure off me and I'm sure pressure off both of us to have a crack at this. And the result compelling, the science is behind it. You you walk the talk. I, I just love your philosophies behind the philosophies of meditation and the practice. So um, it's been a real gift. Thanks. Okay. No worries, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Light. Help us get the Mojo Radio Show on the iTunes What's Hot list. Hit up the Mojo Radio Show and leave a comment now. Oh, and please... You are such a disappointing pair. Be gentle with us. That was a nice Light interview. (laughs) (laughs) He's here all night, folks. Don't go away. He's behind the panel, so you've got no choice but to listen. Try the veal. (laughs) (laughs) the pubby yeah hey uh listen just you know the world cup's on at the moment right yes sir the uh the wallabies are doing extremely well and a quick shout out to uh to the boys um just on us as an aside we had a message left on the uh on the mojo line the other day from uh from someone who wanted to uh to do a uh a pause for a cause and i thought it was a ripper i mean me loving my rugby. So have a listen to this. Hi guys, it's me again from Ginger Cloud Foundation here. Um, because our son Max has a learning and perceptual disability, he hasn't been able to play a team sport before. So we developed a new form of rugby, the Modified Rugby Program, so boys and girls like Max can play and really feel like they're part of the junior rugby club community. Look, for the kids, it's a great way to learn about a team sport in a supportive environment because the play, each player has their own player mentor from the club on the field with them. Uh, the player mentors plus the coaches support each child's needs and help them to learn how to play rugby. The program's awesome for kids like Max, but also for the player mentors because each week they learn about leadership and mentoring from rugby legends Nathan Sharp and Tim Horan. Look, there's lots of information on our website. Um, so if you have a look at gingercloud.org.au and if your club uh, would like to play, run the program next year, please send me through an email to megan at gingercloud.org.au. Thanks, guys, so much for your support and uh, we really love the show. Cheers. There you go. What a great, great idea. This is, I know about the Modified Rugby Program and mm. I met the guy, the father, who was behind it a little while ago uh, mm. through a business contact and fantastic program. And I would say any children that have disabilities of any description who have a dream of playing rugby should get on and check out Modified Rugby online because it is just, honestly, it brings tears to your eyes, the joy that this program brings. And my belief is that it's now spreading around the world. Yeah, I actually, um, I, when we got that message, I actually called her back and had a quick chat and, and well, not a quick chat. We actually spoke for like 40 minutes because we both have (laughs) such an interest in rugby. 
But at the moment, it's it's purely based in Brisbane, um, and they're looking to expand into Sydney next season. Um, but you know, I, it's one of it, you watch; it will take off like wildfire because there's too many people around the world who not only love the game of rugby but love the social side of it and want to be a part of that and and want their kids to be a part of that. I, I guarantee you, in five years' time, we'll be sitting here going, "Remember when we talked about it just kicking off? Look at it now." Because yeah, they're, no, they're, they're getting international interest, and there's some really good rugby players, international mm. rugby players behind the cause. So, um, yeah. that's a lovely pause for a cause. And, folks, if you've got a cause that you'd like to give a plug to, because we have a big audience, in fact, our audience is bigger in the United States than it is in Australia, <laughs> um, big audience in the United, United Kingdom, in mm. South Africa, in mm. New Zealand. Mm. Uh, even yeah, up I've in, talked to them when we're rugby mates, that's why. <laughs> yeah, even up in uh, Asia there are people listening, which is lovely around mm-hmm. career and stuff. So yeah. if you've got a pause for a cause and you'd like people to hear about either a charity you're involved with or just a program that you'd like to plug, uh, feel free to ring 08 7200 or on your dial pad it is simply 08 Mojo. Mojo baby. Mojo baby. And you just uh, leave us a message. We'll get you on the show. We promise. Mm. Um, And speaking of which, I had a couple of shout outs. I had two messages sent to you and I this week. And I must say, I was on cloud nine Mm. uh, for the whole day when I read these. They came through my inbox early in the morning. And one was from Ray, who is a uh, first-time emailer, long-time listener. Mm, And he said, another great episode, guys. Make sure you listen to it. This is an email he sent to his mates, copied me in. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, And a great surprise, which was really cool, the new Dead Daisies track is just bloody awesome. His Ray's words. Thanks so much, Gary and Robbo. You guys are legends. And he got a reply from a guy, Katie Cables, who said, I agree with Bray's comments. Your show is brilliant. Each Monday morning, the way to work, I'm looking for the gold in their hills. <laughs> hey, forget this. Oh, I, used to live in Cher- I used to live in Cherry Brook. Hey. So I can picture Robbo and his team training at Pennant Hills Oval. Great there job. As we say at KT, that's keeping the dream alive. So nice. I'm going to say yeah, the nice. boys there, Anya, thanks yeah. very much. Uh, great shout out to you. It, it warms our hearts. We do the whole show for free. Sadly, not unlike, not like the Dead Daisies, we don't have any sponsors. We yeah. do the whole thing for free because we just love doing it and we hope we can make a little contribution to a charity through Pause for Cause yeah. or to help you get one little bit to give you mojo in or out of work or perhaps a tool to help somebody else with, which is, you know, one of the greatest things we can do to bring happiness is to help somebody else. So, uh, You know something else we can do to help with happiness? I reckon if if those two guys send us their their addresses, I reckon I've got a couple copies of uh, Revolution, the Daisy's new album, here to send to them. I reckon we can do that. Let's yeah. do that's a great guys get idea. in touch. Please send Gary an email with your uh, with your addresses, and uh, we'll get them in the mail. Yeah, that will uh, that will definitely happen. And just one last thing before we finish, mate. Mm-hmm. Just shout out to the Brisbane Broncos who all listen to the oh, show. Boo. there's no way they listen but anyway I'm still of a Queenslander shout out to the boys finals coming up they're uh, Uh, they're looking good and uh, uh, go the Bronx go the Bronx hey you got any contacts Wayne Bennett would be a great person to talk to he would be I've read all his books massive fan yeah I uh, hate the Broncos but god you got to respect that guy Jesus what a legend 
and he'll be even he'll be even more legendary uh, next Sunday after they win the grand final. Another, I, you know what? I I saw the game last night. Tanae's a massive Broncos supporter. Not that she's ever lived in Brisbane. I can't quite understand that. But um, I sat through that game last night, and I tell you what, they're going to take a bit of beating. When you finish the show, mm. walk out of the studio, mm. walk up today, and just go, girl, you're a winner. <laughs> you're, a Bron- you're a Bronco supporter. And I've got one last word for you before you finish mm. the show, buddy. Mm. Queenslander. Catch you next week. Oh, next week. The first of Rock Tober. We, we better do some work on that. <laughs> yeah, we better. Catch you then. Out. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.